Welcome to today's MTD podcast. We're at Shearline Precision Engineering today in Ely. Uh, we're with the managing director, John Littlechild, and we're going to be talking about the um, the company's history, uh, how they're coping at the moment with COVID-19. I'm also joined by uh, Gio uh, Albanese, obviously a, a proud member of the MTD team as well. Uh, I'm the founder and managing director of MTD. I should be hosting today's show, but firstly, I'd like to welcome you both. Uh, John, firstly, with yourself, uh, good to be here today at Shearline. We've learned a lot this morning and I'm sure this podcast is going to be great. Maybe you could uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and the history of the company to uh, to start us off. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, Shearline was founded in 1973 by David Littlechild, um, primarily spawned out of the requirement in Cambridge from the high-tech circles for precision engineered components. Um, since then, the company has grown considerably, um, moved to its present site in Ely in 1993, and the factory has been extended three times since then to its current size of 60,000 square metres. And you're managing director, uh, how long have you been managing director, John? I've been managing director about 18 months, um, so not very long, although I've been involved with Shearline for the past 20 years. Okay, so coming up in today's show, we're going to be talking about current business uh, activities. Quite interesting, John. You've been um, in the chair of managing director for eighteen months, and you've we've we've gone through a lot of difficult times. Then, as a country, I suppose you've you've been here with all the Brexit that was going on, and now the the COVID nineteen. So it'll be interesting to get your your steer on what's happening. Um, Gio, you're you're with us today. You, we've been around the machine shop. We've looked at what they do here. Quite impressive, isn't it? Very impressive indeed. I think the the mix of machines uh, really stands out. Uh, The mix of capabilities, not just um, in the machine shop, but fabrication. Um, And and John, I'm sure, will tell us about all of the different capabilities that you offer, but very, very impressive. Now, that is the point to start, really. Let's learn about what you do, because one of the the things that we've we've, um, sort of seen today is that you've got a great machine shop and that's what we knew you for, and that's what a lot of people will know you for, but you do do more than just machining, don't you? Maybe you could uh, yeah, tell us your other services. Absolutely. So in addition to the machine shop, we have a uh, considerable um, sheet metal and fabrication um, workshop um, with a four kilowatt and laser and a uh, punching machine. Um, we're able to make a range of precision sheet metal work enclosures, brackets, all manner of different things um, that all allied with various finishing techniques, uh, powder coating shop, which is also in-house, wet and dry bead blast, um, enabling us to be a a true one-stop shop for any components that any uh, potential customer may want. Yeah, I think that that it really stands out. I think when you talk about a UK manufacturer um, with all the different capabilities that you've got on site, you, 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 you have actually diversified into so many different industries. Can you tell the listeners the kind of industries that you've gone into and the reasons why? So originally, uh, Shearline cut its teeth with mainly the inkjet printing industries, which came directly out of um, Cambridge University. Um, since then, it has diversified into um, multiple other industries, such as medical science, a um, little bit of automotive and motorsport, Um, packaging, uh, defence, and more recently, aerospace. Uh, We do currently now hold AS9100. And has it been important for you to spread your wings? Um, It always always can be dangerous, can't it, to have too many eggs in one basket? 
Yes. I mean, at the moment, I would quite like a very large medical egg in my basket um, because I'm sure that there are a lot of companies involved in medical applications that are doing very well at the moment. Um, however, that can be extremely dangerous because having all the eggs in one basket, um, if that industry or sector suffers uh, a downturn, obviously you'll go down with it. So it's very important to ensure that the company is spread over as many sectors as possible. And what about investment, uh, John? We're here today, we've been looking at uh, your new MX330 machine that you've just purchased from Matsura. Um, you're obviously a big believer in, in, in embracing technology and trying to make your, your business different. Um, you weren't scared to invest in this time, which is really encouraging. Yes, I must admit, I did. Uh, we did have a few uh, sleepless nights over the uh, thought process of buying a new machine or such an expensive machine at, at such a time. But going back to David's founding principles of this business, um, we have invested to move forward. And investment is the most important thing that a company can do to keep abreast of its competition, to ensure that it's economic and can operate efficiently and therefore offer its customers good value for money. Yeah, I mean, even on your logo, invest, innovation and inspire. And I think that that is the key and should be the key for many manufacturers that are looking to get out of um, this current situation and to move forward. I think in my opinion, personally, I think if you don't invest, you move backwards because everyone else will be catching you up. Um, and, and touching upon the range of different machine tools and capabilities that you have, it kind of goes hand in hand with the different sectors that you service. Um, you mentioned that you know some parts lend themselves to one machine and others um, another machine. How important is that? It's very important. Um, We've found, you know, in the industries that we operate within, having a wide range of machines is very beneficial to us. We do have some machines which are very old, um, but they still have a very important part to play in some of the products that we're making. Obviously, we've got cutting edge brand new machines such as the Matsura we've already spoken of and the twin spindle um, Morisiki lathes, which offer, you know, enormous advantages. Uh, the, in any business, the most expensive commodity is its staff and people. Um, investment in machinery is second to that. So if you can invest in machines which remove not totally the need for staff, but obviously remove the reliance on staff all of the time by encompassing lights out running, unmanned running um, and automation, it's given you a pretty good start um, to being a competitive, forward-thinking company. Now, I think there's, there's going to be uh, there's videos on our channel that we've also done whilst we've been here today that people can watch. But to set the scene, if they haven't, looking at your machine shop, and I know we, we talk about there's many other areas to the business, but you are um, awash with a lot of different brands of machines. You've mentioned some yourself. You've also got uh, Doosan machines, um, XYZ machines, the Datron machine that you have too. Quite a spread. Is this a good example of a company buying the right machine for the job? Yes. <clears throat> At the end of the day, you know, one manufacturer I'm not aware of, if they if they do exist, um, can make, you know, every machine that a potential machine shop may need. You know, we've shopped around and, and be it um, the level of service that the machine can offer, um, its longevity um, and various features within that machine, it pays to shop around. I can't really see the point of tying yourself to one particular um, manufacturer.
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it's, you're a perfect example of that because a lot of companies do tend to stay to the same brand and to familiarise themselves maybe with just the, the programming, for example. Absolutely. But to, to have this the versatility and flexibility, I, I would imagine it is important when you're servicing so many sectors. You also, uh, when we talk about automation, you've also invested in Industry 4.0. You're, you're monitoring your production. How have you found that as well? Yeah, so that was a very recent project. Um, we only went live in March this year. Um, so we've upgraded our MRP system to MeTrack. Um, and the reason for doing that was um, out of the need for information about what is going on in the business at any one time. So we have um, live shop floor data capture, which can literally indicate to supervision how jobs are running on the shop at any point in time. I think that's really important, isn't it, Paul? We've been mentioning on MTD for many months. I mean, automation is key. I think people have, have, have been slow to adopt it, but it does seem to have brought it to the forefront with this current crisis. And hopefully, you know, moving forward, people will adopt it because they need to. But also Industry 4.0 and, and, and some of the other emerging technologies that are now available that people were maybe reluctant to invest in. I think that it's imperative that they do. do would you agree, guys 100% 100% and I think um, yeah I think uh, making yourself as efficient as possible has never been more important and I'm sure that's exactly what your software is going to do uh, what, what's what been fascinating and somewhat and I don't like using this word but disappointing about today is that when we spoke to you when we first got here we were uh, intrigued by some of the projects that you get involved in some of the parts that you make for different industries and the minute we say to you john can we can we film some of these parts you go i can't you can't because <laughs> you know we're we're contractually committed not to disclose and show what we do but maybe what we can do on this podcast is talk about some of those exciting things because engineering is exciting and you've certainly been involved at the forefront so maybe you could give us a couple of examples of things that you do do without giving too much away but sort of wetting the appetite for those that are interested in the business Yes, yeah, so we, we, we make um, parts which go into weapons guidance systems, um, uh, joysticks, that, that type of thing. We're also making other parts uh, for aeronautical applications, um, such as transducers, which are monitoring the length of pipeline which has been um, delivered from a, an air-to-air refuelling um, setup. Uh, we also do work with electron microscopes, um, and do you get to see how the finished product works and get to learn about how, you know, how these things operate? And does that does that excite you as well? I mean, it must be. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, as you alluded, you know, there were so many different examples that we went through this morning. You know, I was saying, you know, look at this, look at this, look, it does this, this ends up in this part or in that racing car. But unfortunately, we can't really talk about it and we can't show you, you can't show, you can't show us the parts. Um, so many examples such as that um, that unfortunately we're involved in so it is exciting for us and the staff but obviously we can't talk about it I mean I wish we could talk about it some <laughs> of the parts are fantastic and uh, it's a credit to yourselves um, I mean from a, a managing director perspective I mean you've only just become MD well relatively uh, recently, you know, you gave us a tour of the full facility and you seem to be extremely knowledgeable about every single cell that you took us around. Um, would you be able to be the, the right MD for the business if you didn't have all that knowledge? And how did you acquire the knowledge within this business? 
So I believe that is absolutely crucial to any business. If you don't understand your business from the ground up, um, I don't see how you can manage it and understand what is going on in that business. Um, I've been involved in engineering all my life. I did an engineering apprenticeship um, and before I came to Shearline um, and my initial job at Shearline uh, was actually the installation of the air conditioning system and a combined heat and power plant. So arguably nothing to do with the business <laughs> itself. I was going to say it's um, warm in here at the moment. Does it work? <laughs> it's warm. Well, it's not running at the moment, Paul, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I then moved into the um, maintenance, health and safety and environmental management, which is what I've been doing for the bulk of the time I've been here. So with that role, um, it did enable me to see more or less the entire factory, the entire operation, arguably from the other side, as it were, um, to learn about everything that goes on here. Uh, when I, when we talk about that that tour that Gio mentioned, it was uh, it'd be quite compelling when you bring potential customers here for them to walk around and see everything that you do. And hopefully we can get a bit of that across in this podcast. The, the various cells that you you have it was great to see the fabricated side the you know the the punch machines the laser cutters uh, laser in ceramics and then all at the end of it the machine inside that we see here even down to like the datron high speed machine in center or router as as you called it so many different skills and I said to you is there a part you could show us that 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 demonstrates all of these and we did see one uh, there but of course again we couldn't get it on camera but it was great to see in that box uh, everything that your business does precision machining laser cutting ceramics all, all, all in one place wasn't it uh, it must be great for you to be able to show customers that and how different do you think you are with being able to do all these things I think we're, we're relatively unusual. I mean, there are a lot of machine shops around. There are also a lot of um, fabrication shops around, and there are a few which have both. Um, uh, the difference being that we've also got the mechanical assembly um, and electronics capabilities so that we are able to offer a customer almost a complete package. Um, and as you saw, yes, those parts that had all been produced in-house we're all boxed up into a kit of parts, which can then go straight out for servicing of that machine. I think what another thing that really stood out and impressed me, I mean, a lot of companies talk about skill levels and finding skilled employees. On that tour, we spoke to a couple of your employees as we went round. Uh, one that stood out was on the Daytron. Um, and he seemed extremely knowledgeable again, uh, extremely skilled about materials, cutting speeds, Enthusiastic as well. Enthusiastic. But the guy that you uh, interviewed on the Matsura as well, exactly the same young lads. I mean, I feel old nowadays, to be fair, but uh, not as old as Paul, but that's another story. But, but very, very knowledgeable. You know, you go to some companies, uh, and I'm not being disrespectful here, a lot of companies employ operators, um, but you seem to have a very skilled guy on each machine. Is 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 this something that um, I've picked upon, or is that just um, the people we got to talk to? It's it, it's the it's the fifty fifty question, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's different models and of ways of running a machine shop. Um, you can have a centralised programming and setting core of people who do nothing but setting and programming, um, and then you effectively just have operators who are running the machines. Um, the model that Shearline is using, and I must admit we have tried both, um, is with more skilled um, operators. 
who are setters and in some cases programmers as well that are running machines um, or in charge of a cell of machines so that effectively all the knowledge is at a very local level. There's pros and cons of both and it's one of the sort of things that I'm constantly thinking about, you know, is there a better way than this? Each, each method has its pros and cons. The thing is, um, a lot of people, you know, like their job satisfaction, um, you know, and, and if you were to potentially change from the model we've got to a centralised model, arguably you wouldn't need so many programmers. Um, I know what it can be like running a machine and obviously being able to um, move forwards with your own personal development is important and it's important to keep our staff at Shearline um, happy and interested and engaged in their work and obviously enabling them to move up the ladder um, is a way of doing that. I think it's, that's even more important in your area here geographically. We we travel, um, you know, up and down the country, around the world, but this is probably one area we get to least. Now, I don't know whether that's because there's less engineering companies around here or whether it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know the reason for it. But what I would say is that skilled staff, when there are less companies, must be even harder to find because you're not getting people trained up in the area. So they might have to relocate here. And it's quite an expensive area of the country to live for one, isn't it? Certainly with, yes. with, with Cambridge um, just around the corner. So I've got to take my hat off to you. I think you've obviously done exceptionally well and it looks like the um, the, the method that you've chosen is, is right. Let's talk about where you are as a business at the moment we've gone through some as we have said on quite a few occasions recently some difficult times you've been in the in the chair for 18 months you did did brexit or the brexit situation have any impact on your uh, your business at all so yes there was there was actually an influx of orders at the time of brexit being announced a lot of customers were ordering forwards trying to build up stocks so we did see an initial um, flurry of orders and then things more or less i would say went back to normal um so other than that initial flurry of people, I dare say, panicking and wanting to ensure security of product supply, um, it ha we haven't really seen an awful lot of change. But then with the pandemic, so what's happened here as a result of that? Because I'm sure this plays out across a lot of companies and people that will be listening. Absolutely. So um, it took us quite a long time to be affected by the pandemic so before we didn't see our sort of order book um, deteriorating initially it has taken a good couple of months before that really became something that was becoming apparent quite obviously the operating arrangements inside the factory have had to change um, with obviously increased social distancing additional hygiene um, as you've seen and looked around the factory, it's a relatively spacious factory, so we don't have too many problems with staff working on top of each other. So we're very fortunate in that respect that we don't have social distancing issues um, and work more or less has, has carried on. So in some respects, it's been almost normal to continue coming to work and it has been nice to continue coming to work. Um, obviously, in the early days, we weren't sure how manufacturing was going to be uh, affected by the pandemic and the, the regulations. Obviously, a lot of industries had to close down uh, and the information flow initially was uh, rather stunted, to say the least. But we've been operating throughout um, the pandemic. We never stopped. And, and would you say, I mean, we touched upon already in this podcast, investment and innovation. Would you say that, that in, if, if you didn't or you didn't invest in the past in, in this innovation um, and, and new technology and, and automation... Would you still be 
would you have still been able to have remained competitive as, as you are now? And how important is that competitiveness? Competitiveness is extremely important. Um, at the end of the day, customers expect quality. Um, it's a given. Um, it's not optional. Um, and clearly, price is very often a factor which customers factor into their um, purchasing process. Um, so you have to remain competitive because if you're not competitive, there are hundreds of other companies that the customer can potentially go to. Um, it's just a fact of life. You need to be competitive. If you're not competitive, you're potentially not going to be in business very long. And, and let's just mention the ventilator challenge because you were involved in that as well, weren't you? Yes, at the, we were. At the start. Didn't quite go as, as you were hoping, though. Um, and I think this is a quite... We're hearing this a lot. Um, maybe you could just tell us of your experience. Yes, so... Um, Early on in the pandemic, we were approached to manufacture parts for a ventilator, um, which happened in a very, very short space of time, literally in probably less than a week and a half from receiving drawings to actually beginning to manufacture parts. Um, we were manufacturing around about nine different components, um, some milled, some turned, um, some complex, some not so complex. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, because every cloud does have a silver lining, the project was one of the projects which was pulled by the government, so it was decided not to continue with the production of that model of ventilator, so the work was effectively cancelled. So whilst at the time that was disappointing for our staff because everybody was really pleased to be able to be doing something, you know, for the national um, importance, um, obviously it was pleasing to know that clearly the government felt there were enough ventilators in circulation and the extra ones were not required well you know talking about kind of uh, government schemes and and competitiveness um you know is this the time now for uk manufacturing in general to really pull together and look at ourselves and and as this period given ourselves that time to look at our processes and become more competitive in the in, in regards to reducing cost per part so we can start buying british goods at a cheaper cost, keeping the work in in the UK and start selling abroad rather than buying everything in cheap. Do you think we can change um, this kind of habit that we've got ourselves into? And how important is it to change? Yes, I do. I mean, over, over the last 10 years, um, you know, the China threat is clear. We've lost work to China. There's no doubt about that. But over the last 10 years, we have seen work for various reasons, gradually migrate back to the UK and in some cases back into this factory. Um, a lot of people learned that China wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Clearly China has got a place and will always have a place, um, as will the other low-cost markets throughout the world. I mean, there are new emerging markets, which I dare say are going to be a threat to China. Um, with the way China's going, you know, they're becoming very industrialised, People are becoming consumerised. Wages are going to start going up out there and their competitive edge will begin to diminish. Um, you know, they're going to have to keep um, investing in their machinery and maintaining efficiencies just as we we have to. And your future here, I know, I know we, we, it's hard to kind of predict and look in that crystal ball at the moment, but we are certainly, uh, things are getting better. And you've even said yourself, and so have a lot of the companies that we visit, they started, the phone started to ring a bit more and those inquiries that weren't coming in are coming in. Are you quite optimistic 
um, John, about the, the, the 12 months ahead or the, the two years ahead, certainly now with what you've got here in terms of plant. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've never doubted um, British manufacturing and what can be achieved, you know, by making things locally. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that British manufacturing is going to go forwards and will succeed. Um, it, it doesn't, um, I'm not at all concerned that I think, oh, British manufacturing is finished. It, it's absolutely not the case. Um, we are going to come out of this and we'll come out of it strong. Um, as you say, all the factors that have been bearing down on us are making us into a more lean, uh, efficient um, workplace, which can deliver. It'll be nice, won't it, when we don't have any of these things to worry about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope it's not too far away. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to wrap this one up at this point. I, I would uh, conclude by saying that you really should uh, take a look at what Shearline Precision Engineering do. There are some videos on the MTD uh, channel where you can see, um, you, know, you can actually visualise and see what we've, we've been talking about today, but hopefully we've given you a good overview. Uh, gents, thanks for joining us. Uh, John, thanks cool. for the invitation here today. It's been Thank a fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, day. Thank you very much. And that's it for uh, today's MTD podcast. Keep tuned to the channel where we'll obviously be uh, producing more podcasts like this uh, on a weekly basis. Thanks for listening to the MTD podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Find more episodes on mtdcnc.com.